Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. A very practical podcast for you today, something I know quite a bit about, I think, and it's how to build a business from scratch. Personally, I've owned 47 businesses throughout my, uh, I guess, 38-year entrepreneurial career. Had a lot of different successes in a lot of different ways. And also uh, laid an egg on occasion. And I seem to have learned a lot more from those than most of the successes. We've been coaching and training people for over 22 years. I've trained over 3 million businesses in 37 countries. We currently have 21,000 small business owners that we work with in a coaching and support capacity. So we really want to share this stuff with not only the folks that we work with who are our members, but also anyone out there who either has a business, maybe you have a business that you need to kind of retool a little bit, and you you may be in a process where you need to reinvent your business, which is uh, very common nowadays. Secondly, you might be someone who's about to start a business, or you might have a friend or a family member who's planning on getting in the game at some point in time in the future. And I think this is not an exhaustive covering of the topic, but this will be enough to absolutely make sure that the foundations are right so that you can succeed. If you have an existing business, you want to check your fundamental business principles and practices along these lines to see how healthy it is. So here's three things I think are very helpful to help you build a business or rebuild your business from scratch. First is your tomorrow bills on your today. Secondly, you want to find a need and fill a need. And third, you want to build it to last. So your tomorrow bills on your today, find a need, fill a need, and build it to last. So what is a business? Well, ultimately, a business starts with an entrepreneur. Nice French word, but it means a one who organizes, manages, and assumes the risks of a business owner. Now, it's interesting to me because When most people think of an entrepreneur, the only thing they think of is a risk taker. You know, that guy's a real entrepreneur. She's a real entrepreneur, real go-getter. But it's one who organizes and manages and then assumes the risk of a business or enterprise. And so that's a very, very powerful, important thing. Now, you can't always get ready to get ready. And there's many people that are so organized that they never actually start their endeavors. But it's very important that when you know you're going to start a business or grow something, that as you go through the early bird stages, that birth stages or the rebirthing stages of a business, that you know that you've got to systemize and organize behind it. Now, business itself is the practice of making one's living by engaging in commerce. This is a very important thing. You know, they say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. There's many, many folks, especially younger folks today, and I'm just really inspired and just really encouraged by so many young people who not only want to be an entrepreneur and start a business, but they want to do things with social consciousness. They want to be good to their environment. They want to be good to their employees. They want to be good to their society. They've seen examples of companies that have given portions of their funds to help those with large needs, charity and giving and all that kind of good stuff. And I see a lot of young people and hear from them who want to start a business and enterprise. Some of them, of course, want to build an app that goes big and, you know, six months and sells for a billion dollars to somebody. And that does happen once in a while. It just happens maybe one out of every 
million to five million businesses perhaps so it is a long shot if you're going to try to do that ultimately being an entrepreneur is a mindset that you're someone who wants to bet on yourself believe in yourself that you have a, a desire to bring a product or a service to the marketplace in a way that's either better or different or cheaper or faster than someone else or with more value and you're willing to assume and manage a concept called risk. And I always say you're not really an entrepreneur until you've written a personal check to make payroll. I've done that many a time in my career. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not, I'm willing to be an entrepreneur for 90 days until I get this off the ground. Buffeening Companies is 22 years old now. And I would tell you, I have reinvented this business many times. Managed to keep it growing, managed to keep our good name above all else, uh, our brand in the marketplace as our strongest asset. The next thing would be is our community of customers. The third thing would be our quality of culture at our staff. We've been recognized two years in a row as the best place to work in a town of three and a half million people. But ultimately, I've had to re-engineer Buffini Company many times. And so building a business from scratch or rebuilding a business from scratch it's something I've been a part of, and I think for those of you who've been through ups and downs, market recessions, industries that get disrupted, industry that technology comes in and plays a huge part, customer attitudes shift, we all have to be in a spot all the time where we can adjust to the marketplace. And the numbers, uh, I feel no joy in this at all. I, this pains me to say this, okay? So from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 20% of businesses fail in their first year. About 50% of businesses fail by their fifth year. When I ask people, typically, and I've seen surveys on the subject, what makes the 50% win? And the number one thing people say is they were in the right place, they were in the right time, they were lucky, they got capital, they might have inherited money, and that's what they invested. And I just want you to know, in regards to the businesses that make it, never, ever, have I ever seen any of those things take place? Now, people will tell you, and they'll say, yeah, I was lucky, you know, I was in the right place at the right time. Uh, you'll hear Richard Branson say that. And then you hear him actually give a talk where he breaks down what he did and how he did it, the way he did it. And it's systematically re-engineering his business to meet the needs of the market following a whole series of principles. So for me, going out of business, when I see that sign, it's kind of heartbreaking. I remember uh, our producer, David Lally, and I were in a town called Escondido in Southern California one time. And this gal had opened up this beautiful organic foods shop with organic remedies. They had a juice bar. They had all this stuff. And I remember telling the story. I was driving my kids to a basketball tournament. And they all had kind of the sniffles. And I went in there and I was asking her what remedies she had and this and that. And she said, well, this is nice. And this. And she goes, but I'm just not a salesperson. I'm not a salesperson. I kept telling her, I go, I have a need. My kids are sick. Do you have anything that can help me get through the day here? And she was kind of, she didn't want to offend me. She didn't want to be perceived as a pushy salesperson. I had to buy what I needed, and I eventually got it. But I remember driving away going, ooh, I'm concerned about that business because you got to be willing to promote. I did share with her. I said, you know, you got to be so excited about what you offer here that not only am I going to get this, because you're meeting my need, that I want to tell my friends about the place. And I remember David and I were at lunch one day, and I said, hey, let's pull around and we'll get... They also made sandwiches and stuff. They're cool, you know, all farm-to-table stuff and whatever else. And we went there and there was a going-out-of-business sign. It hurt my heart. You know, here's a wonderful lady, well-meaning, great principles, great values. And she was dead on arrival. And there's just some basic principles of how you don't make it in business. And that was a good business. 
and a good person. And here's the thing. She tried. She probably lost all of her savings. And it takes a lot of years to recover from a setback like that. And some people never get back on the horse again. And so if you're thinking about starting a business or rebuilding your business, I want to share with you a few things. First of all, how do entrepreneurs fail? They don't have the skills. In this case, one of the skills was promotion and marketing. Next, the failure to deliver real value. Okay, It's a very competitive marketplace today. You've got to be more competitive than what somebody can find on the internet. Your service has to be better. Your value has to be better. There has to be a reason for me to go to you rather than someone else. And then burnout. People get burned out all the time. And so we want to make sure those things don't happen to you. So let's talk about skills, right? We always like to say here at Buffini Company, it's your skills that pay the bills. Wilbur Wright, right? The Wright brothers who took flight, they say it is possible to fly without motors, but it's not without knowledge or skill. Fair play. And they prove that. Jim Rohn used to say, don't bring your need to the marketplace, bring your skill. This is a big one. I often see entrepreneurs who are coming from a place of desperation. Now, just so you know, you don't have to have a ton of money in the bank to go start a successful business. But I've often seen people lead with their need, where this has to work. This has got to work. And so that sense of desperation comes through. And so it's very, very important that you're always, even if you're in that spot, it's you're going to find the need and fill the need. And we'll talk more about that. So when we talk about failure to deliver real value, entrepreneur.com says failure to deliver real value is the number one reason that businesses fail. This is a big deal in today's marketplace. Warren Buffett says price is what you pay, value is what you get. Value, it's really the essence of what you bring to the marketplace. If you're a service, your value is in who you are, in your level of care, right? People don't care what you know until they know how much you care. You can be excellent at what you do, but you have to deliver it in a way that's an excellent way. So I see this all the time. People who are highly skilled at what they do, maybe not relationally very skilled, maybe not great at listening, maybe the delivery process is not good. So think about it like this. What if you go to a restaurant where the chef is really good, but the waiter and waitress is really bad? What if you go to a restaurant where the waiters or waitresses are great, but the chef's not good? We're missing value. So in today's world, to make it, you've got to have good ingredients, a good chef, a good methodology for delivering the food, and then you have to have a great experience. Well, that's true for all businesses. So it can't just be, oh, I'm the only one who has this, and you're going to lump it or like it. Those days are over because people are right now so desperately seeking ways to be in business, and people are, there are competitors. If you own a business, there's competitors that just started today for your well-established business who are enthusiastic, fired up, energetic. They're going to knock off the best thing you do and they're going to try and compete with it. The number of times in the last 20 years that somebody's come out with programs that look like mine, that sound like mine, they do everything but have an Irish accent, a black wife and six kids, okay? I'm talking about like they've gone to such degree of knocking off our stuff, but they don't deliver it the way we deliver it. They don't have our mission impact and improve the lives of people. We're going to serve first. We're going to win later profits come after you succeed and so what happens is it's our methodology it's our process it's our people it's our mission it's how collectively people come together and that's why i'm rarely worried about a competitor knocking our stuff off and if somebody does it better than me i'll tip my cap and say what can i learn from them what can i learn from them and how can i get better 
And so, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about value. And here's a key principle for today. One of the biggest challenges in today's business environment is a lack of loyalty. And I want to share with you that you can't take it personal if people are not loyal to you. You have to understand that people are loyal to value. People are loyal to value. But I helped their sister in a transaction and they were referred to me. And then they went and bought from somebody else because they thought it was in their best interest. And because you weren't communicating your value in that it would be a foolish decision to go somewhere else. I'm going to share with you in business, I think that's all right. Someone came to me one time and says, uh, I'm going to hire your company to coach me because you're a Christian man. And I said, that's a lousy reason to hire my company. I go, you need to work with us because we're the best coaching company in the world. We have the best results over 20 years. We've impacted people's businesses and lives in the most excellent way possible. Now, who I am and my personal convictions, if that's something you align with that makes you feel better, great. But don't sign up for that reason. Don't get involved for that reason. And that's the real key is it's about being better. It's about being the best. It's about bringing that value to the marketplace. And when you bring value that's discernible and differentiated, what it allows you to do is not only provide value, but then your customers are able to communicate value. Again, I tell a lot of stories about my producer, David Lally, and I eating together, but we've been together for 17 years, and food has kept us together. You know the old Captain and Tennille song, Love Will Keep Us Together? Well, food's kept us together. And today, he said, hey, I'm taking you to lunch, and we're supposed to go somewhere close, and I, I don't know, I think I've crossed the Mexican border somewhere, but he brought me to this fabulous Mexican restaurant. We had a great experience together, and he was telling me all about it. He was excited to take me to this place. He was telling me about previous people he'd brought there and so on and so forth and then these two gals walked in they got into the booth next to us and the one gal was obviously a regular customer and she was bringing and I kind of stopped him talking and I wanted to eavesdrop just for a second because I said hey I just want to hear it and so she sits down and she describes to her friend the restaurant in about three sentences she goes this is a mom and pop shop they've been here for over 40 years they have recipes from every single separate region of Mexico. They've trained their chefs in the tradition of each and every region of Mexico, and they often source the produce from those places. And this place, every night, is slammed to the rafters. I'm going to tell you right now, you can go to Madison Avenue, that person could not pay for a marketing campaign and an advertising campaign to be delivered like that. Where a trusted friend is telling another trusted friend the specific value points of what that restaurant is. Mom and pop, so guess what? This is not some big chain. Every single region in Mexico, unique and differentiated. Oh, by the way, she had to hear that somewhere. And oh, by the way, the ingredients and the recipes come from that region and the chefs have been trained. And lastly, everybody comes here, the success. That's what every referral wants to hear, that we're not the only people eating here. So what a brilliant, brilliant endorsement. That was a description of value. That's a description of value. Here's my question. When people are going to describe your business to their friends, what are they going to say? What are they going to say? And it has to be different. It has to be unique. And it has to be specific. The next thing is burnout, right? When people get burned out is when they follow the dollars and not their passion. Now understand, if you follow your passion forever and you don't have dollars, you're going to get burned out too. In fact, you get burned out at home and by the people who love you. Okay? You'll get burned out because 
Romance without finance leads to the ambulance. That's what my father-in-law said to me when I first met him. So follow your passion and the dollars will come. They go it alone. They don't get help. They don't read the books. They don't listen to podcasts. They don't get a coach. They don't go to seminars. They don't get the training. Here's what I can tell you. The reason why I've become successful in many, many enterprises in my life is because I always approach it with, I don't know what I need to know to be successful about this. When we went and launched our podcast a couple of years ago, I said, I don't know Jack Cheese about podcasts. And we went and met with the best podcasters there are. My team regularly attends conferences on podcasts. We went and brought in specialists to help us build a state-of-the-art podcast studio. This is just one of many, many endeavors I have going on. But we've now become the fastest grown business podcast in the world in just a couple of years. I say that not to impress you. I say that to impress upon you. You got to be a student. You got to learn. You got to get coaching. You got to get help constantly. Don't go it alone. And lastly, it becomes not sustainable. So you burn out because it requires so much effort and so much fire, but it just can't be maintained. So we're going to talk to you about that today. The great Michael Gerber said, if your business depends on you, you don't own a business, you have a job. And it's the worst job in the world because you're working for a lunatic. <laughs> Michael Gerber's from right here in Carlsbad, right down the street from where I'm broadcasting to you. And he wrote a book that I consider the Bible for small business owners. And it's called The E-Myth Revisited. The letter E, Myth Revisited. It's uh, subtitled, Why Most Small Businesses Don't Work and What to Do About It. From my opinion, it's the best small business book I've read in probably my whole life. And very, very powerful one. So it's an excellent book. I highly recommend it to you. I've recommended it to a lot of people. Michael doesn't know me that well. He knows of me. But I've made him a lot of money over the years, and I will continue to do so because he brought great value to the marketplace. So here's the three points I want to cover with you today. Your tomorrow builds on your today. Find a need, fill a need, and build it to last. So if you're starting a business out, and this is often where the first mistake is made, the very first step in the dance is off, and now you're constantly out of rhythm. Here's the questions I have for you. What have you done? What have you done? Your tomorrow builds on your today, and your today builds on yesterday. What have you done? Where have you been? What experiences have you garnered? If you look at the businesses that have done real well, somebody saw something, worked in something, and developed something, even when they were a kid, perhaps, that had a progression to it, because success leaves clues. What are the things you've done in your past that you've done well? You might think it's totally irrelevant to business. But what have you done in your past that you did well? What did you do well in school? What have you done well with family? What have you done well with your hobbies? What about that have you done well? I had a good friend who was an all-pro football player. We've been friends for decades. And when he quit football, he kind of went into this desert where he just was lost without football. And I would constantly talk to him, constantly talk to him. Finally, I said to him, what is it about football you love? You were the best at it. You were an all-pro running back. You were in your team's Hall of Fame. You won national championships in college. But what was it about football? And we drilled down and drilled down into what was it about football. He found his next vocation. But his next vocation was actually running a nonprofit about something he was deeply passionate about. He just brought the same skills and the same elements of himself to it, and it flourished. Because your tomorrow builds on your today. You know, in today's world, everybody, like, they have an idea, but it's totally unrelated to what they've known, what they've done, what their influence is, what their success has been. And there's no connection. So make sure there's a connection. There should be like Hansel and Gretel. There should be a little chain of breadcrumbs that leads back to where you started that you can see. And it's like, yeah, you know, for me, I started, I went on a holiday 
I worked in a bar in Ireland. It was actually Milltown Golf Club, and my brother John and I, we were called lounge boys, okay? I guess bus boys, although we were allowed to serve booze. I don't know how that worked, but in Ireland, they let kids serve booze. Bottom line was, I worked, and I earned enough money, and with our school, we went to a trip to Italy. And first of all, I was great, because I went to Italy, and there was a lot of people who looked like me. They had better tans, but I felt kind of straight at home. And then I'm in the markets in Rome, and I had always, I don't know where it was, I'd seen somebody, I think it was Steve McQueen or whatever else, I'd seen him wearing a suede leather jacket. And I always thought, that was it. I'm going to wear a suede leather jacket. And I go down to the markets, and this thing is more than I can afford. And there's all these vendors out there, outside these beautiful buildings. And I go up, and I, quanto questo? And I ask this guy, and he gives me an amount back in Lira, back in the day. And I go, yeah, I can't do it. And he goes, so what's the matter? And we're back and forth, back and forth. And I'm like, hey, I'm just an Irish boy. And there was a lot of American tourists, and they could afford everything. So they'd say how much, and the fellow would say, and then they'd pay the price. And this little old man, he's there. He's kind of a bald, old Italian guy. And he had the jacket I want, but I didn't have the money he needed. And he's looking at this American buying something from one of his sons. And he goes, it really bothers me. And I go, what bothers you? He goes, you know, they just come up, they ask the price, and they pay. It really bothers me. And I go, well, what should he do? He goes, first of all, you insult the man. He goes, next of all, you offer one quarter whatever he asks. Now he insults you. And now you go back and forward, and eventually you come to a price somewhere in the middle, and you make a deal. He goes, it's fun for the vendor, it's good. But if the man is foolish enough to give me the money, I'm going to give him the money. Well, I am like, all of a sudden, it was like the heavens opened. I heard the angelic voices. The light shone down. So next day... I go to the markets and I find a different guy with the same suede jacket because they're all selling the same stuff. And I go in. He's kind of bald. He's kind of overweight. I ask him the price. He tells me the price. I insult him. I tell him he's a greedy Italian trying to take advantage of a little Irish boy. I'm on vacation. I've saved up all my money to come here and you're stealing from me. This is everything I have. I really want this jacket, but have you no conscience? Oh, he was so offended. He got so upset. And he said, okay, but for you, I give you a nice little discount. We go back and forth. Eventually, I'm pulling his cheeks. He's slapping me on the face. We're having a great time. I bought the jacket for half. I go back. I tell the story the next day. One of the toughest, grumpiest teachers ever in our school comes to me and says, Hey, Brian, can you get me a set of leather luggage for my wife? Now, I was terrified of this guy. The kids in school were terrified of this guy. And now I have to go and negotiate a deal. Well, sure enough, after slapping cheeks and insulting back and forward and having a good time, I bought that teacher a set of leather luggage at half the price that he could get for himself. And now we were off to the races. The next day, the biology teacher comes to me. Now, we're supposed to be on this tour of Italy where we're supposed to be looking at all the, all the different churches and cathedrals and artwork. And else. But it seemed like every day we were in the marketplace. Guess what? That day, a spark was lit in me that said, man, I like this. This was great. And it was one of the best feelings I've ever had. And I had achievement in sports. I had achieved other things and whatever else. But this was like, ooh, this kind of feels like me. And so that's why years later, I had a chance to do a bit more of that, do a bit more of that. And then eventually, sure, when I could find an opportunity like real estate, I could flourish in it. I could build it up. And then I ultimately systemize it so I could not just build a great career for myself, but then I could train other people how to do it. And that then developed into a training and coaching company. So 
there's breadcrumbs along the way. Now, you might not have ever had the specific experience where something like that happens, but there are clues along the way. So, what have you done? Second thing is, what are you good at? Albert Einstein, you say, everyone's a genius. But if you judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it's stupid. What are you good at? I'll speak a little extemporaneously. One of my kids, phenomenal guy, really hard-working student, straight A's across the board except one subject, mathematics. Cannot do math for his life. And I'm very proud of him. He's in college right now, and he's doing tutoring. And sometimes he's doing tutoring till 11 o'clock at night. Working hard at it, working hard at it, working hard at it. I said to him, Grace, you know, I appreciate your effort. I appreciate what you're doing. I want you to get past this, because if you get this, never do it again in your life. And I say, here's the reason why. The marketplace doesn't pay you to work so hard on your weaknesses that you become average. I want you to find the one thing that you're best at and do it better than anyone else. In our culture today, we're told to work on our weaknesses. Now, you can't have a weakness to the point that's a liability. He can't have a liability to the point that he's going to fail a class and it stops him from getting a degree. But here's the deal. He's not going to be a mathematician. He's not going to work in things that require calculus and algebra and things like that. Be great at what you're good at. Become a specialist. Don't become a generalist. Find out what you're good at and become great at it. One of the ways, the third thing there is, what do you enjoy? What do you enjoy? So... What have you done? What are you good at? What do you enjoy? You know, we've all heard the phrase, do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. How did I get in the speaking business? People will be shocked to hear this. I was like everyone else. I had a fear of public speaking. I was asked on behalf of a friend of mine to give a little speech at his daughter's wedding. And so I put together a few things. Being Irish, I could always tell a joke. And I could always sing a song. So I did this. I told a few jokes I sang a little song that I made up and then I had a point to it and that was that sitting in the back of the room that day was a gal named Beverly Robinson she was a member of the US Olympic team and she was a friend of this person too but we weren't friends of each other just at that time years later when we were married she said I always remember Peggy's wedding and she goes I've always felt you were going to be doing public speaking someday and I remember that day because I was like, that which I was afraid of and that which I was nervous of, when I was doing it, as nervous as I was, it was kind of cool. And years later, when I was asked to teach a Sunday school class, and I was in a church environment where there were 40 masters of divinity sitting in the congregation, and I was asked to teach on principles of business. So I come up with these seven biblical principles for business, which are still the principles I adhere to today. Well, I taught that. And when I taught that, It was like a little tuning fork going off. Now it wasn't the clouds open, a little tuning fork. It was like, ooh, that felt good. It didn't felt good from my sake. I could see the lights go on in the people. And I was like, ooh. And that's when I kind of knew, okay, I might be doing more than just this real estate stuff someday. I might be doing something beyond that. And so that's where the desire to get into speaking and training and coaching and all that stuff comes from. So I'm speaking autobiographically to you because that's the only way I know how to do it. But for your sake, your tomorrow builds on your today. You want to build a business from scratch? What have you done? What are you good at? What do you enjoy? If you own a business, and we all need to be reinventing our business constantly, every 18 months in our world today, you've got to be reevaluating what you do and how you do it. I'm going to say to you, what have you done? What are you good at? What do you enjoy? You know, if you have a business that you hate, 
here's the thing. Don't throw the business away. What about that business do you enjoy, and how can you get back to doing more of that? Okay? Sometimes it means a smaller opportunity for you, but it's a more joyous business. Great principles. Here's another great business to build a business from scratch or to reinvent yourself would be find a need and fill a need. And if you've ever heard me speak, I always talk about this, but it's finding a need and filling it. Successful businesses are founded on the needs of people. A.G. Gaston said that. The bottom line is when you find a need, then what you have is there's a sense of demand. Now, there's a bit of a trick here because sometimes people can't tell you what they want. My customers will often communicate their needs, and when they offer solutions or what I should do to fill it, rarely is it right. Because people don't always know how to fill the need, or they'd have already filled it. So what you really want to focus on is the problem you're trying to solve. What problem do they have that you're trying to solve? And all the great businesses do this, right? Amazon is like, okay, people don't have time. If people could buy it online, and it's just it's a transactional product, so it started out with books. I say, okay, walking up and down the aisles of a bookstore. Now, some people want to do that for the experience, but if someone's, that's the only way you can buy a book, how about this? How about we streamline that process? And now, by jaypers, if we can sell them a book that way, we can sell them toilet paper that way, and we can sell them groceries that way, and we can sell them anything that way. So it's like they understood they were in the business of giving people efficiency and time. Find a need, fill a need. FedEx. FedEx took on the Postal Service. Now, I want you to think about this. The Postal Service was founded in the 1780s. It's the U.S. government. It was shortly after America became America. And here comes a government-owned organization where they've established postal routes, postal boxes on everybody's doorstep, postal workers, routes of trade, back and forth. Now, an independent company from Tennessee is going to compete with that. How in the world do you do that? FedEx said, you know, people you say, oh, the check's in the mail. Oh, you didn't get it? You know, the U.S. Postal Service gets blamed for a lot of things it never did. It's the greatest postal system in the world. If you're in Europe and you put something in the mail, it doesn't get there the next day. It doesn't. But 99% of the time, that happens in America. But what the Postal Service couldn't offer was peace of mind. And so, for example, if I'm sending a check to my grandmother to make sure that she can make her house payment and not go into foreclosure, and I put it in the post... I'm not sure if it's getting there or not. And I have no record of it. And I don't know where it is. And so FedEx said, hey, they had a slogan, if it absolutely positively has to get it there overnight, use FedEx. But what FedEx did was they introduced a tracking system. And the tracking system in those days was you got on the phone and you could call and they'd say, your package was put on a plane in Nashville. The plane is going to land in Chicago in an hour. You could call back in an hour and say, the package is on the van and it's going to our depot. And then you could call back in three hours and it would say, the package is being delivered in the next 20 minutes. Now, obviously, that then changed into being able to track it online, to be able to do it in automatic. FedEx used to charge $10 for a letter to get delivered in a package. And the same thing with the Postal Service was a couple of dollars. And FedEx grew and grew and grew, even though they were five times more expensive than the U.S. Postal Service that was a monopoly. Many people say, oh, well, I'm not going into this. There's too much competition. I'm not going into that neighborhood. There's too many people already working it. Fact of the matter is, FedEx took on the government because they offered something. They found a need, and the need was peace of mind. And people would pay for peace of mind. So find a need and then fill a need. Finding a solution is the second thing. And it's a solution that it doesn't necessarily have to be 
an original invention. It just has a solution that's communicated and delivered in a way that the customer can understand it. Okay? Steve Jobs, he's done a pretty good job in his lifetime, Lord of mercy on him. He said, if you define the problem correctly, you almost have the solution. I'm going to say that again. If you define the problem correctly, you almost have the solution. You're so close. Albert Einstein again said, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. So that's where that old analogy now of thinking outside the box. You know, find a need. Find a need. What's the problem? What's the problem? How can you solve it? It's usually that good ideas get better over time. It's usually that you need to think, 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 process, process. You need to synergize out. Don't be afraid when people don't agree with you. Now, don't let them kill your ideas because there's some people who don't synergize the way you synergize. Don't let them kill your ideas, but talk to people. And then when you present it to them, they're not in love with it. Ask them why. Those are key. I've seen people who are entrepreneurs that were like a bull in a china shop. They present their idea. Someone doesn't agree with it, and they just bowl them over or ignore them. And usually, they ended up dying on the vine. And I've also seen people who listened to the feedback and then decided not to do it. Neither one of those answers is correct. What you want to do is wrestle through a good idea when presented properly. It takes time. It's developed over time. You don't go up like Moses on the mountain, come down with the two tablets of stone, and everybody goes, well, that doesn't happen. I used to try that. I used to think I was supposed to do that as a leader. And now I realize, no, I got a concept. I got an idea. I'm going to flush it through. I'm going to do research. I'm going to read. I'm going to study. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to throw up little flares. I'm going to present it a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit there, what you like, what you not like. And when people don't have a lot of questions and then come back to you a day or two later after some of the analytical folks have had a chance to think about it and they go, here's why I like that idea. Here's the problem I might see with it. You're well on your way. The third part of that is use synthetic creativity. Synthetic creativity. Napoleon Hill described it this way. It's the combination of one or more existing inventions, products or ideas, that when combined in a unique way would fabricate or synthesize to form a new invention. Okay? So, for example, the garbage bag you know, the liner in a trash bag, it was a synthetic creativity because it was a solution combining a garbage can and then a plastic bag. And so how do we make this thing work? Well, because people had to take the garbage can. The garbage can gets dirty, gets smelly, and you have it in your home. Hey, what if we put a bag inside the garbage can so we just take the bag out so you still have a garbage can but now you have the bag inside. You think about that. How many garbage bags do you buy a year? Now, I have six kids. Imagine what trash day looks like, okay? The iPod creating a music player like a Walkman. If you're under 30, Google Walkman, and you'll understand how fantastic a thing you have compared to what we had. And utilizing a small computer hard drive to play MP3 files. That was where the iPod started. Now, where did that come from? Eventually, the iPod, hey, then it became a phone. And then the phone became how you watch movies, how you do your computing, how you do your banking, and everything else. Synthetic creativity. I'm going to tell you that the elements of Buffini and Company existed in some form. There were people doing coaching, but some of these folks were all decentralized doing coaching from home. So you had different people using different curriculums, kind of doing their own thing their own way. I saw seminars and events, but I said, gee, that one's too long. As a consumer, that's three, four, five days. That's too long. All these different elements of things that I saw. I saw this. I saw that. And then what I did was I put all those things together. I aligned them. I improved them. I packaged them. When Buffini Company came out on the market for 10 years, we grew no less than 49% a year. That's a pretty successful launch. We doubled and doubled and doubled so many times. 
and I use synthetic creativity, existing ideas that were refined and then aligned and packaged in a way that hadn't been done before. So find a need, fill a need. Third part here, build it to last. There's a great book by Jim Collins called Built to Last, I highly recommend, and it talks about how to build businesses to last, and it it goes over some of the great, great companies that have been built and why. Let me just give you a couple of great quotes on this. One of my favorite quote machines is the late Groucho Marx, the comedian. He said, learn from the mistakes of others. You can never live long enough to make them all yourself. Brilliant, okay? Voltaire said, is there anyone so wise as to learn by the experience of others? It's just the way to go. And so build it to last. So the first question you want to ask yourself is, who's doing it right? Who's doing it right? Who in the marketplace do you admire? Who's doing it right? Here's the key. Study successes. Now, you can learn from failures, but study successes. That's a key ingredient. You can learn what not to do from a failure. That's a good thing. But you have to follow who's doing it right. Here's the second part. This is key. What works for you? Again, honest to God, there have people who've come out on the marketplace in in my profession who tried to mimic me. They haven't tried to put on an Irish accent and do things like that. They're a terrible version of me. They could be a fantastic version of themselves. What works for you? And so just because somebody's doing it right, I mean, there's a reason you have an idea. You have maybe a couple of tuning fork moments. You have a past for things you've done. And now it's like, what works for you with your personality, with your style, with your uniqueness? That's the key. Einstein said we're all geniuses, but sometimes we're a fish trying to climb a tree. So what works for you? Jimmy Connors, the great tennis player, says, what works for the person you're imitating may not work for you. So what you want to do is, who's doing it right? What do they do well? And then how can I apply those to what I do well and who I am? Okay? Powerful stuff. So out of that, what works for you will come ultimately your unique selling proposition. What makes you better? What makes you unique? One of the things I used to communicate to my customer is I'm a good negotiator. I like to negotiate. I would tell my existing customers that. People experience that. So a lot of times when my customers were like that lady in the restaurant today, telling their friend, they'd say, you know, Brian does this and Brian does that. And by the way, he's a really good negotiator. Well, that's one of the things people like the least. Uh, They don't like confrontation. They don't want to leave any money on the table. So now they have this intermediary. So that was one of the things. So if you're not a good negotiator, uh, don't bother impersonating me. Find out what you do well. And then the third part is, how can you sustain it? The key is you want to build a business to last. And so you want to build those things. What are the principles? What are the values? You know, at Buffini Company, we have a set of core values. I just met with our head of training here today, Cheryl Wolf, And Cheryl headed up our coaching department for, I don't know, 15 years or so. And now she's the head of our training department internally. And I was just saying to her, we're having a meeting We've been around a long time now. We have a lot of new blood coming into the company and young, enthusiastic, fresh faces, great ideas. But I was saying to Cheryl, there's a whole bunch of folks at Buffini Company that don't know our past, our process, and our principles that we've got to really share this stuff with them. And it'll just take these really cool people and take them to a whole nother level. And so how do you sustain it? So there's principles. The next thing is what processes do you have? Because you can only be consistent if it's a process. If it's only duplicatable because a person can do it, you're in trouble. If that person gets struck by lightning or car accident and that stops from happening, you don't have a business. And so 
everything at Buffini and Company, including the fellow who's talking right now, has to be replaceable and duplicatable to some degree. How do you sustain it? And the other part I want to share with you is, as an entrepreneur, one of the great traps we get into is, once I get here, then I'll be happy. Once I get here, then I'll be successful. Andy Rooney said this, everyone wants to live on top of the mountain, but all the happiness and growth occurs while you're climbing it. I wanted you to know that the good old days don't seem like the good old days. The good old days seem like a struggle. When I think about my bride and I over the past 30 years of marriage, you know, it was the times when we were trying to get into our first house, you know, trying to make the mortgage payment, trying to get the baby to sleep and didn't know what to do. They have a sniffle. We're down at the emergency room. You know, by the time the sixth one came along, we'd let them juggle knives in the kitchen, you know. The good old days don't seem like the good old days. I will share with you, there's nothing like building and growing a business. If you're an entrepreneur and that's how you're wired, there's just nothing like it. And enjoy the journey. It doesn't mean every part of the journey is enjoyable. Enjoy the journey. There is no time when you get to the top of the mountain and say, I've done it. I've completed it. It can never get any better than this. And so, just so you know, it's a journey. It's a process. The world we live in today, because of disruptors, innovation, technology, you have to really reinvent yourself and your business all the time. And so to some degree, you're always starting from scratch. I just had a major breakthrough for the long-term strategy of Buffini Company. I've been working on it for a couple of years now. And it started with, what would I do if I was starting over? Knowing what I know now, what would I do if I was starting over? And that's led to some great stuff altogether. So we have a few cool resources for you. And so Mr. Goodtime himself, our producer David Lally, he has some goodies for you that he wants to share with you. So take it from there, Dave. Thanks, Brian. I've watched you build many businesses over the years, and this is powerful stuff for anyone thinking of getting into business, whether big or small. And absolutely, that was a great meal today. That lady was on point describing the restaurant. It was so good. And hopefully people will be able to develop that kind of referral in their business from some of the stuff that you covered today. A few years ago, Brian wrote a best-selling book, Taking Care of Business, The Big Idea for Small Business. In previous podcasts, 86 and 87, he covered some of that content. So if you want to take a deeper cut at that or some of the stuff you heard today, go and listen to those shows. In the meantime, I have something special for our listeners today. To get your very own free chapter from that book, head over to thebrianbuffinishow.com and take a look at the show notes. While you're there, sign up and become a Buffini Show Insider. It's a brand new group where we share behind the scenes and exclusive content. So we wanted to do something special for you guys at an even deeper level. So become a Buffini Show Insider today. And this week, exclusively for you insiders, we're going to give you the entire book for free. That's an awesome gift. Back to you, Brian. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you, Mr. Lally. You are the man. And uh, yeah, that was fun today. Enjoy reading your reviews, your emails, your letters, your cards. Thanks so much. Keep them coming. I do get to them all. I get a lot. So uh, just give me a time to, to get through them all. Uh, here was one that I got today from Trevor Schleihoff. I think that's how I'm pronouncing it. I hope I'm not butchering your name. It says, my name is Trevor. I'm 17. I've been listening to you speak since I was in the fourth grade. The first time I saw you was in 2011 at a seminar outside of Toronto. I was sick for the day, 
So I tagged along for the day with my mom. And I went up to the stage to thank you. To be completely honest, I don't remember much of the conversation, except for a comment about my red hair. Oh, that sounds about right. Flash forward eight years, and I've become an avid listener to your podcast, and I'm slowly applying your teachings and principles into my life. Last November started a rough patch for me, and I started feeling unmotivated. I wasn't performing at my potential, and my grades were slipping. That's when I listened to your It's a Wonderful Life podcast, and I decided it was time that I started shifting the way I look at my situation, changing my perspective, and I want to thank you for introducing it to me. I've also been saving more money, uh, following your steps to build a financial fortress, and starting to think about investing in the stock market. Since I started applying these principles, I've been pulling straight A's on my calculus tests. I've been able to get myself back into physical shape, and I'm feeling happier and more motivated than ever before. I've started sharing your podcast to my friends and reading all the books you've recommended. And all I want to say to you is thank you for giving me the inspiration to change my life. I know I am not the worst story you've ever heard, and that you definitely have better things to do than to read an email from some teenager. But in the same chance that you read this, thank you. Thank you for inspiring me. Thank you for motivating me. And I hope you have a wonderful day. And thank you for reading my email. Well, there you go, Trevor. Now, I just read it in front of 100,000 people. First of all, I want you to let you know, Trevor, that you just made my day. Because at the end of the day, this is why myself and a few hundred people in San Diego get out of bed every morning. And I would just say, reading your email here, that you are on your way. And I will tell you that at 17, I did not have it figured out the way you do right now. You're in a great spot. And as Dr. Seuss would say, oh, the places you will go, young man. So thank you. Great email. Keep them coming. Keep your reviews coming. And if you think that this podcast is worth sharing with a friend, we would love you to refer this podcast just as if you were bringing a good friend to a great Mexican restaurant. Maybe you could describe what this podcast has done for you, what benefits you get from it, and maybe what they can do with it. So we just want to keep this positive movement going. We thank you all who've referred us and shared this show with your friend to make it grow so well. We are getting better at it all the time. We are excited about how good we're going to make it in the future, and we're just privileged to do the work that we do to come into your homes and come into your lives and share a bit of the good stuff each and every day. And hopefully... If you're uh, building a business from scratch or rebuilding your business from scratch, then your tomorrow builds on your today and you find a need and fill a need and you build it to last. And this podcast has helped you. We'd love to help you also. Buffini Company, we are pretty good at training people, pretty good at coaching people. Maybe come and see us live at one of our training events and we'd uh, love to see you. So as I leave you here today, I'm going to leave you with the words that my grandfather always said. May the roads rise up to meet you and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. We'll see you next time. 